You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. And welcome to a three-week sermon series on the subject of new beginnings, for that's the task that faces us right now as we seek God's leadership in the selection of the seventh senior pastor in the 68-year history of the Lima Baptist Temple. Our church began back in the year 1954 down in the old Majestic Theater on South Main Street and the founding pastor was named Harold Morgan. In 1961, Pastor Cannon came here and began a 40-year ministry, doing tremendous work for the Lord, building a huge congregation, and having constructed the auditorium that we meet in today. So Pastor Cannon did a wondrous work while he was here as pastor. He was followed by me. This is a anniversary date, so to speak. It was 37 years ago on the first Sunday of October that I taught my first lesson at the Lima Baptist Temple. And so 37 years ago, uh, I began my ministry here And today, I begin year 38. And the Lord has been good. Right smack in the middle of those 38 years, I became senior pastor. And I was senior pastor for five years. I was followed by Dan Wigdon, and then Charlie Miller, and then, of course, Pastor Al. And uh, so I want to say to you uh, this morning, just like the President of the United States, when he gives what's called the State of the Union Address, he will always say as he begins, the State of the Union is good. I want to say to you today, the State of the Lima Baptist Temple is good. There have been times in a transition period when we have had our divisions, when we have had our disagreements, but this is not one of them. Pastor Al did not leave because of any set of problems. Pastor Al did not leave because someone ran him out. Don't believe some of the things that you hear. Pastor Al left because he believed God was leading him to another ministry. And he left here on good terms. That statement that he made last Sunday was a tremendous statement. He said, I told the people of my new church that if you treat me half as good as the people of the Lima Baptist Temple have treated me for the last nine years, you and I will get along fine. That's a tremendous statement. 
And if you read the little note of appreciation that's in the bulletin this morning, and don't read it now, listen to me. <laughs> I see everybody going like this. Don't, don't do that. You will find again that he expresses his appreciation for all that he enjoyed while he was here. You pray for him. He's preaching this morning in his brand new church. And so I believe that God has left us today in the Lima Baptist Temple in good standing. And being the one who has been selected to lead us through the first few weeks of our journey together toward the selection of a new pastor, I came before the Lord and I asked God, I said, Lord, where would you have the people of our church be in relationship to you as we begin this process of selecting a new pastor? Now, God led me to two different things. Number one, he led me to a verse of scripture, really two verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know those verses. Here the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our reasonable service is to give ourselves totally to God, after all he's done for us. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In other words, begin to think like Jesus thinks. The renewing of your minds that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. God said to me, here is where the people, the members of the Lima Baptist Temple should be. They ought to be right with God. Now you say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be right with God? It means this. That you can look up to God and you can say to him, Lord, as far as I know, everything is right between you and me. I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. As far as I'm concerned and far as I know, there is no unconfessed sin in my life. As far as I know, I've acted in obedience <clears throat> to everything You've told, <coughs> excuse me, I've acted in obedience to everything you have told me to do. And as far as I know, I am right with God. So God took me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he said, you need to be right with God. And then he did something very strange. What he did was he took me to a chart, a chart of all things. As I was reading one day, I came across a chart of Jewish holidays. I put the chart on the board for you to look at today. And uh, on that chart, you will see several of the Jewish holidays. And you will see them soon. I hope. Oh, one more. Okay, all right, here we go. The first one is called Rosh Hashanah. That happened in the Jewish nation last Sunday. 
September 25th. The words Rosh Hashanah mean head of the year. In other words, last Sunday was the New Year's Day on the Jewish calendar. On that day, the shofar, which is pictured on the front of your bulletin, the ram's horn, was sounded and began what was called the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets lasted 10 days, and it was a time of repentance, a time of getting right with God. At the end of those 10 days came the second, the most holy day of the Jewish year. It is called Yom Kippur. And it will happen this coming Tuesday on October the 4th. It is the Day of Atonement. Would you read about it with me in the scripture? Notice, if you will, in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse number 1. The Bible tells us this. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, and that he come not as other times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have on linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitra shall he be attired. In other words, the crown. These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. So as Aaron comes into the holy place, the Bible says he is dressed all in white, linen. He is a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he does in verse number 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. Notice that. This happened every year. Aaron, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, still had to come and offer that sacrifice every year. It was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary, shed his blood upon the cross for your sin and mine, and the Bible says the sacrifice is never to be repeated again. Aaron, a sinner, had to offer a sacrifice for himself. Jesus, who never sinned, offered a sacrifice for your sin and mine once, and it's never to be repeated. Notice in verse 7, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat 
on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Look at verse 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. This is what happened on the day of atonement. And I believe as we talk about these two days today, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that you will see what God was trying to tell me through this chart. Now, next week, there's another holiday that the Jews observe. It's called Sukkot, and it's called the Day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen, in order to get ready for what God has for us in the future, we have to remember what God has done for us in the past. And that's what Sukkot was all about. This was called the Feast of Tabernacles. This is when the Israelites came and they lived in tents or they lived in booths to remind them how they lived during the time that they were in the wilderness. It was a time of remembrance. So we're going to do that next week. And then the third week, there's another feast. It's called Simchat Torah, which means rejoicing with the Torah. If you go to a Jewish synagogue today, you would look up in the front and you would see 52 scrolls. On those scrolls are written the scripture verses of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, are written upon those scrolls, the scriptures that are read every week during the Sabbath day. A different scroll each week. You remember the Bible tells us when Jesus went into the synagogue, the minister came and he gave him the scripture, Isaiah 61. And Jesus read it, and then he said to the people, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so on this day, which was the feast where they had the most fun, they would take those scrolls and they would parade around the synagogue and rejoice with food and with dancing. And they would celebrate the new year in the reading of the first scroll that was designated for them that year. So we're going to talk about the importance of the Word of God in our lives in this transition time in the selection of a new pastor. But today, we want to talk about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Amazing. When you come before God and you say, God, would you show me where we ought to be as a church in relationship to you as we begin this new journey, as we commence upon this new pathway? Where should we be? And God says, I'll show you. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. There's where I want you to be. Surrender to me, right with God. And look to the scripture to see exactly how that can happen. 
And so, we need to be right with God. And so I ask you this question. I want to ask you this question with the words of an old song. The songwriter said, how about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. Is it dark with sin? Or is it pure within? Could you ask Christ in to stay? You see, people often see us as we are outside. But Jesus, he really knows us, for he looks inside. So how about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. You see, I firmly believe that there are certain people within our church who, if they are not right with God, will restrain God's blessing upon us in the days that are ahead. Who are these people that are not right with God? Well, number one, the unsaved can hinder God's blessing upon his people. The unsaved. Now, I'm going to say something that some people aren't going to like, but here it goes anyhow. There are some people within our church who have been here perhaps as long as I have, maybe even longer. And there are people who have been here a shorter time, but are members of our church. And I want to tell you, I don't believe that they're really saved. I heard a preacher one time who said he believed that over 70% of the members of the average church in our country are unconverted people. You see, if you're a visitor here today, you may be here for the first time or other times, many times, but we're glad to have you. If you're unsaved, I hope you will come to know Jesus Christ today. But I'm talking about the membership of the Lima Baptist Temple. I'm talking about people who are members of this church, who have been here, who have heard the gospel, and yet are not truly saved. You're trusting in other things. You're trusting in your attendance at church. You're trusting in your charitable giving. You're trusting in your service because you may be even active in the service of our church. Maybe you're trusting in your family. Why, I grew up in a Christian home. Mom and Dad had me in church all the time. We even had devotions together in our home. Maybe you're trusting in your patriotism. Why, I'm an American. Of course, I'm a Christian. Whenever the national anthem is played, I put my hand over my heart. I sing with all of my might. Maybe there are other things that you think make you a Christian. But I want to say to you, unless you're trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have never truly been converted. There are people of our church who you could go to and talk with them and say, could you tell me what happened that day 
when you repented of your sins and when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and they would not be able to do it. You see, they're like the mixed multitude. Remember who they were? The Bible says they went up out of Egypt in the Exodus when the Israelites left after that 430-year captivity. And they were not Israelites. They were from other nations. They had seen what God had done in the plagues that came upon Egypt. And they said one to another, I wonder what God's going to do for these Israelites when they leave. And so they decided to go along with them. Not because they wanted to follow Israel's God, but because they wanted to see the works of God, the miracles that he would perform. And so the Bible says in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again. Notice the influence the unsaved had upon God's people because they were lusting, the children of Israel also wept. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, evil communications corrupt good manners. You say, what in the world does that mean? Let me give you a vernacular of that. It means bad companions corrupt good morals. You run with people who are not what you are, they will influence you more in their ways than you will influence them in yours. And they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? The answer was God did. For 40 years, God provided manna. The Bible calls it angel's food. The Bible says God provided the manna for two to three million people every day except the Sabbath day. For 40 years, as these people wandered in the wilderness, you can't get any better than that. And yet they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish that we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons, that's not too bad. I suppose the leeks are all right, but then they said the onions and the garlic. Yuck. But now our soul is dried away and there's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And, and so the mixed multitude, you know what they are? They're disagreeable. And they're disinterested in the things of God. They've got their own agenda. It's not God's agenda. I look at Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. The shofar was sounded, and when it sounded, it began ten days that were known as the Days of Awe, A-W-E. Ten days of awe. And in these ten days, the Israelites were commanded to repent. They were commanded to get right with God. In fact, many Israelites believed that their response to God in those ten days would determine whether they would live or whether they would die in that coming year. Imagine that. 
If God said to you and me, your response to me in the next 10 days will determine whether you're going to live or die, we'd be doing some very fast repenting. Now, what if God said that to you? And you're here today, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Oh, everybody thinks you do. You've been here so long, you know. It'd almost be like if you sit in this auditorium long enough, you're sure to become a Christian, <laughs> but it doesn't happen. And you know you're not saved. God says to you, if you are trusting in any other thing other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not genuinely saved. So I ask you today, how about your heart? Is it right with God? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Does He live within? Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? Oh, if not, today I would plead with you. I would beg you, please today do something about that. Listen to the gospel that you have heard over and over and over again and yet have gotten up and walked out of this building still unconverted. Not only do you harm yourself, but you hinder the blessing of God upon his people, just like the mixed multitude hindered God's blessing upon Israel. I pray that God will convict your heart and he will bring you to Jesus Christ even today. Second of all, the backslidden can halt the blessing of God upon his people. Who's the backslidden? The backslidden are people who are saved, but they're not surrendered. They have not presented their body a living sacrifice unto God but they've gotten up and crawled off of the altar to do their own thing. They are people who sing, I surrender all, but they've never done it. Instead, they have let the old, subtle devil, now let me remind you who the devil is. He's a person. He's not dressed up in red, long underwear. He does not carry a pitchfork and he does not have a fork and tail. The devil is a real person who has more power than all of us here put together, but not more power than God. And the devil will do absolutely nothing that is good for you. Not one thing. No advice that he gives, no course of life that he recommends, will be any good for you. And yet there are some Christians here today, there are some Christians within our congregation who have listened to the devil as he has said, oh, some outward action that they're involved in, 
that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You don't have to give that over to God. After all, you have a right to do what you want to. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus has made you free? You can do that. It doesn't matter. Or they have listened to the devil who has said, those thoughts that you have, those things that you look at, perhaps on the internet, those things that are unknown to any other person except you and God, they're okay. Don't worry about it. Don't you realize we live in a different time? We're in a different culture. We're not like those old-fashioned Christians of years ago. It's okay to have those things in your life, even though you may feel that it's not right. And those are the backslidden. They have listened to the devil in what he has told them to do. You're just like Achan. Remember him? Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. The Israelites had gone in and accomplished a wonderful victory over the city of Jericho. You remember, they marched around the city and finally they blew the trumpets and the Bible says the walls of Jericho fell down flat. God did it. They didn't do it. God did it for him. And Joshua told the Israelites, he said, now when you go into the city, don't you take one thing out of that city. This is God's victory, not for you. It's God's victory. But there was a man named Achan. And Achan went in, and the Bible says, he saw a wedge of gold and some good-looking clothes. And so he looked at it. He began to think to himself, that'd be pretty nice to have. Pretty soon he took it, and then the Bible says he hid it. I want to submit to you that every time you sin, every time I sin, every time anyone has ever sinned, we've gone through the same process. We've seen what's not right for us to have. We begin to covet it in our minds. And then we take it. And then what do we do? We try to hide it. Nobody's going to see this. You know, you and me trying to hide something from God is like the little kid playing hide-and-go-seek with their parents, and when they're hiding, they put their hands over their eyes and they say to their parents, you can't see me. That's exactly what it is. He tried to hide it. Well, it wasn't too long until the Israelites were supposed to go up and capture another city. It was named Ai. I want to tell you how that's spelled. Ai what it was. We're going up. The commander said, we don't need to take the whole army. It's just a little town. Let's just take a couple thousand soldiers. And so they went up. When they went up against the city, they had to turn tail and run. Thirty-nine of the soldiers were killed. And when they came back, Joshua looks up to God and he says, God, you gave us this great victory at Jericho. And now this little town defeats us? And do you know what God said? Listen. The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen 
and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. But they turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed thing among you. How did that happen? How did blight come upon an entire nation? I want to tell you, one guy. One guy. I told you before, I'm fully convinced that sin in the life of one member can restrain the blessing of God upon an entire congregation. God looked down upon Israel and said to Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Therefore, I will not bless you. Is God going to look down upon the Lima Baptist Temple and say, there's sin in the church. Therefore, I'm going to restrain my blessing upon you. Now, Israel dealt with the problem. I'm glad we don't deal with a problem like that the way they did. They took Achan, and they took his wife and his family, and they took them outside the camp, and they stoned them until they were dead. Aren't you glad today that Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, when that sacrificial goat was slain and the blood was placed upon the altar and God said, you can worship me for another year, aren't you glad that when Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, the Bible now says to you and me, Listen, backslidden Christian, with sin in your life, if you confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive your sin, and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wow. How about your heart? Is it right with God? Are you here today or listening to this message and you say, yeah, what that preacher says is true. I've never really accepted Jesus as my Savior. Or as you listen to the message, are you saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit is truly saying to me, I let some things slide in my life. There are things there that I know are not right, but I've just kept doing them anything, anyhow. I've, I've just kept thinking about those things and looking at those things and practicing those things and all the while I realize God's blessing can't be mine as long as there's sin in my life. And oh, today I realize not only could it be that sin's in my life, but my sin may restrain God's blessing upon my church. Would you notice thirdly and lastly that the guilty can hamper God's blessing upon God's people. See, there are Christians here, and they've sinned, and they've asked God for forgiveness, and they would admit today, I believe with all my heart that God has forgiven me. But you know what they have a problem with? They can't forgive themselves. They carry around 
a burden of guilt all the time when knowing fully well God has already forgiven their sin, but they can't forgive themselves. And I want to tell you, you wouldn't know it by looking at us, but there's a whole lot of people here this morning that are guilty of that. We know what we've done. We know that God has forgiven it. But we just can't get that out of our mind. Maybe you've been offended. Maybe you've offended someone else. Maybe there's all kind of problems that you've faced and you've asked God to forgive you. But every time you see that person, or every time something happens that relates to what God has forgiven you, you're reminded of it there again. You're defeated and depressed. Well, I want to tell you, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. What does he mean by that? Paul, what do you mean by that when you say you need to forget what's behind? You know what I think he's saying? He's saying this, just like it happens with you and me. Every time God wants to do something in their life, every time God wants to bless them, every time God wants to use them, the old devil jumps up on their shoulder and whispers in their ear, you don't think you can do anything for God, do you? Remember what you did Remember who you are, and they're defeated. That's what Paul says. That's what happens to me, he said. So I need to do one thing, and when I do this one thing, everything else is going to fall into place. This one thing I do, I'm going to forget the things that are behind, and I'm going to reach forth unto those things which are before, and I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Some translations say this, I'm going to run toward the goal that I can gain the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. How about it today? How's your heart, guilty person? You know? Leviticus chapter 16 says this in verses 20 through 22. And when the priest had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. It was called the scapegoat. And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him, all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Listen to verse 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go 
in the wilderness. Let me tell you what the priest said to the people. Now this isn't in the scripture, okay? I made this up. This is Holman interpretation. You can take it or you can leave it. But since I'm up here talking, I'm going to say it. Here it is. I believe the priest said to the people just before he dismissed them, Now your sins, you guilty people, have been placed upon this goat. And this goat is taken out into the wilderness and let go into a land that is not inhabited. There's no one out there. And the priest would say to them, Now don't you go looking for that goat. I want to say to you, who feels so guilty today over what you've done. You know God's forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. God has forgiven you, and He has taken your sin, and He has removed it as far as the east is from the west, and the Bible says He's buried it in the deepest sea to be remembered against you no more. And in Romans chapter 8, God says, there is now... No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Instead of letting the devil convince you to think negatively, why don't you begin to praise God for His wondrous mercy and grace that has not only forgiven your sin, but has made you free in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible means when it says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means he removes all the guilt. So imagine this morning we're having communion together. And the preacher is up here reading the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And a part of that scripture says, before we take communion, let each one examine themselves. May I ask you to do that this morning? How about your heart? Is it right with God? If the answer comes back, no. Would you do something about that today? Whether you walk an aisle and kneel at an altar, you're welcome to do that. But if you don't, when you go home, would you realize that God's Spirit has spoken to you today? And would you get whatever it is in your life that's not right with God, right with Him today as we begin anew? As we have new beginnings in our church, get your life right with God. Don't let yourself be that individual that can hinder or halt or hamper God's blessing upon this church. You'll regret it today and you'll regret it for the rest of your life.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we begin a new section of the history of the Lima Baptist Temple, I pray today that you might minister to your people. Lord, in order for your blessing to be upon us, we have to be right with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you might take the words of your scripture and strike them home to that one who has heard today or will watch later, someone who will hear this message and the Holy Spirit will say to them, you've never been saved. You got everybody else fooled, but you know in your heart that it's not right with God. That you'll minister to that backslidden Christian, that Christian who has kind of let their life slide. And I pray that you might convince them that their heart is not right with God and that they might get right with God. And I pray that you deal with the guilty. So many of us, Lord, like that. Help us to realize that God has taken our sin and he sent it out into the wilderness into a land that's uninhabited. No one to talk with it about. Lord, help us not to talk about it anymore either. And may we rejoice in the fact of what God has done for our life. Minister to us. Speak to our hearts. And Lord, may we be, as we begin this journey together, the people that you can bless, the people that you can provide for, the people that you will bring just the right person to us to minister the word of God that this ministry might go forward. Lord, please speak to our hearts today and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, we ask it all. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.